morning. Romans 12, 17 through 21 says, Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Thank you so much, Tiffany. So we're in this series, The Ordinary Extraordinary Church. It's a series that falls under the category of ecclesiology. That just means the Bible's teaching on the church, the doctrine of the church, because because as the church of Jesus Christ, we tend to be what one writer has called Cinderella with amnesia. Cinderella with amnesia. We are the bride of Christ. The slipper fits, but we forget who we are. We're Cinderella with amnesia. And so in this series, we've been reminding ourselves of who we are and what we're called to do. Who we are and what we're called to do. And lately, we've been thinking about the three main purposes of the church. Our, our upward purpose of, you might say, ministry to God in worship. Our inward purpose of ministry to each other, using our gifts, showing genuine love and service to each other. And now, now today, we want to see our outward purpose, our outward purpose to those who are yet to know Jesus Christ. And so I want to say here just for a moment, if you are visiting with us or sitting here with us and you have have yet to trust in Jesus Christ, thank you, thank you, thank you for coming. You're in the right place. I need you to understand a little bit today that for Christians who have believed this message, the most logical thing for us to do is tell others. And so I'm going to talk about that, and it might seem odd, it might seem uncomfortable. I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable. Just the the logic of what we believe tells us, oh, we want others to know this too. That's the outward purpose I'm describing. And I want to do this first. Before we get into our passage, I want to think about our outward purpose in general, and then we'll focus on this text. So, so you should have in your bulletin a little handout. And if you don't have one, and Tiffany may have a few extras, you can just put up your hand, and Tiffany can, can throw one your way. But this little handout that says, Pursuing Our Outward Purpose Together. So, yeah, put up your hand if you'd like one of these. Take it home and frame it. Here's, you might say, a process for how to think through pursuing this outward purpose. First, making genuine friendships with those who are yet to know Jesus Christ. That's really been our accent for these six years of our existence. We've been accenting Step one. (laughs) You might say, Tab, we're still in step one. Yes, we'll always be in step one, reaching out as ambassadors for Jesus Christ to those in our network of relationships, those around us. We want to make genuine, genuine friendships and show the love of Christ and pray for people that God would open doors for this good news. As it says there, if you're lacking friends in this category, think about those 
in the, in the rhythms of life that already exist for you. It's not about adding more to your already full life. It's about realizing how many people you're already interacting with on a day-to-day basis. And then secondly, we want to engage in spiritual conversations, letting people know, yes, I'm a believer in Jesus, and I'm trying to live that out, loving them in, in ways, showing the love of Christ in real ways, being honest about your struggles, and listening to their struggles as well, listening to people, and even, even offering to pray for them. I've, I've learned this from my, my wife, Sung. She is regularly praying for those she's interacting with. I'll be at the YMCA with her. I'll be wondering why she's still in the locker room, not coming out of the locker room. I was, I was praying for so-and-so. And, and I've learned from her that, that it rarely, rarely does someone say to her, no, don't pray for me. Almost always people think of this as a, an expression of care and compassion. In addition, as you engage in spiritual conversations, I find it helpful Ask people about their beliefs. Ask them what do they believe and listen and, and ask follow-up questions. I was um, with the guys that I, I work out with, I, I run with regularly, and on one, on one occasion in August, one of the guys I was running next to, he said, what am I doing that weekend? And we were about to have an elders and wives retreat. Told him about that. So the next weekend... We were doing our annual long run. Once a year, we kind of do a longer run. So we're on the beach running together, me and this guy. And he says to me, how did your retreat go? He remembered. And I said, oh, well, I think it went well. People were encouraging their souls, etc." And he said this. He said, are you a Protestant? I said, yes. He said, can Protestant ministers marry? <laughs> and he knows I'm a pastor. And I said, well, yes, they can. They definitely can and began to tell me all about his life and how he grew up and traveled the world in the Navy and how he appreciates religions of all cultures. And I said, that's great. I appreciate all cultures too, and we can learn from all kinds of different peoples. And then I asked, well, in that process, where have you landed? What are your spiritual beliefs? And he said this. He said, I'm not sure. I probably need to figure that out. Well, unfortunately, we got interrupted at that point and haven't continued the conversation, but I, I was grateful it came up and we see each other regularly. I'm looking forward to, I hope, helping him figure that out. We engage in spiritual conversations. Thirdly, we can invite people to our community right here. It's a very powerful thing. Invite those friends to meet these friends. Because, as Jesus said, our love for each other, our love for each other is a profound testimony that we are His. As Francis Schaeffer put it, love is the final apologetic. Love is the final defense of the faith. Love, as it were, validates our faith and makes it visible to those around us. So you can invite people to social gatherings or maybe to your home group. You might have a friend you're reaching out to. And they would be helped by and intrigued by what happens in your home group. You can do that. A great way for people to see the love of Christ in our midst. And then fourthly, fourthly, we want to share. 
the good news, share the gospel, to do that personally. You can do that by your own personal testimony. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus tells a man to share what Jesus, what, what the Lord has done for you in that instance. We can share our own personal testimony. We can communicate the gospel in a variety of ways using the outline, God, mankind, Christ, response. And you've got all that written out for you on the back side of this handout. You can use resources like the Two Ways to Live track, which is back at the information table, or our Simply Jesus investigative Bible study. I was so encouraged by, by Yumi Kobar. She told me recently how she was introduced to a friend of Jessica Verhaden. Jessica had met a, a lady from, from Japanese descent, and so she introduced, Jessica did, this gal to Yumiko, who's from Japan. And I believe Yumiko told me they had lunch, I think it was nine times together, studying the Bible, and then this gal had to move back east. So Yumiko knew she had the last lunch she was going to have with this lady, and so Yumiko in her sweet way, said, do you want to come to Christ now? And the lady said, yes, and prayed to trust in Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. Thanks be to God, right? That's, that's the ministry of this church, reaching out to our community. That's personally sharing the gospel. But publicly, in a sense, we do this too. Friends, you can invite to this Sunday service right here because every Sunday... Every single Sunday, we do our best. We don't do it perfectly, but we do our best to explain our terms and share the good news. Every Sunday, I try to do that. I try to explain my terms and share the good news. So you can invite people right here to hear the gospel. I had a friend, another friend I work out with, uh, visit recently. Someone that Steve also knows. I love this guy. He's a great guy. And Steve, Steve followed up with him, and this was my friend's response to Steve. He said, quote, you folks really know how to make newbies feel welcome. He genuinely meant that, that you had just loved him and reached out to him and, and his girlfriend. I wanted to say thank you. He had a great experience here. He felt welcomed by you, and he heard the good news. So you can invite Sundays. We have an Advent series coming, and in a couple of weeks, you're going to get invitations for our Advent series, and Christmas Eve's included in that. And also, additionally, we hope to, we hope to have a future what's called life course. We, we've wanted to create a context where you can bring an unbelieving friend, and they can ask any question, and they can have time to process. Because if you're like me, it takes time to think about these things, and God often draws someone over time. And so we want to create this context that we've been lacking. And to help make that happen, um, my home group has, has uh, made that one of our goals. We, we hope God enables us to do this. We hope to, in the spring, Lord willing, uh, put on this life course for you to bring your friends to help them hear the good news and, and process it. And I wanted to let you know, we could use more help. We invite you to our small group. It is a real home group. In case you're wondering, we have men's meetings, we have women's meetings. We are helping each other grow spiritually. 
but we're a, we're, we're a very small, small group, which is fine. But we could use a few more people, so we invite you. Please, if you're interested, contact me. We'd love to have you help us. So let's sum all this up. How about a couple simple goals for us in this outward purpose? Here's one. What about if we all sought to invite one unbelieving friend to our upcoming Advent series? Wouldn't it be fantastic if we all invited one person? That would be 150 people or something like that invited to come and hear the good news of Jesus Christ coming for sinners like you and me. And then secondly, let's think a little bit longer term. Secondly, what if we sought to have a couple of these kinds of friendships that we pray that they might come to our life course if, Lord willing, we're able to do that in the spring. Could we do that, friends? Could you pray to that end? A couple of people you're inviting or reaching out to that you might invite down the road. Now, one one brief resource recommendation. There are lots of good resources on outreach and evangelism. Here's a recent one that I came across, and I like it because it's simple. It provides some simple equipping, but it's very encouraging. It's not discouraging or condemning. It's simple. It's equipping, but it's encouraging. It's called Friend of Sinners, an approach to evangelism by Harvey Turner. We have two copies to you, to give away to you rather. And so here's the thing. If you would like a copy of Friend of Sinners, Tiffany has those two books and the first hands she sees that go up that would like a book, she's going to give those to you. So would anyone like a book? Anyone at all? Okay, Tiffany gets to decide where those go and you can order that online as well. Now, that was a long little speech to talk about how, practically speaking, we're seeking to engage outwardly in this outward purpose. But it's not always easy, is it? Sounds so easy, Tab. Four easy steps. What could be hard about that? It's not always easy. And that brings us to Romans chapter 12. Because there's often resistance to those to whom you're reaching out. You may be ostracized in ways. You might even experience some form of persecution, and that's where this passage is so helpful. Because the question in those times is, how should we respond? How should we respond when people are hostile to us in the workplace for our Christian faith? How should we respond when people shun us on the campus or in the classroom? How should we respond when we feel ostracized in the neighborhood because we believe in Jesus? Those are timely questions for us, aren't they? We need to know how God wants us to respond to those times. And here He tells us in two ways. In fact, He tells us really what not to do and what to do. So first, we find here that we're told, don't get even. First, you might say, don't get even. If you recall the context, the Apostle Paul is talking about what genuine love looks like. And back in verse 14, he said, bless, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. So there, there's our outward purpose, and it's difficult. Not as difficult as, say, in the Middle East. But we are still to experience hostility 
in this outward purpose. 2 Timothy chapter 3 tells us all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will, will be persecuted. The New Testament sees the experience of that kind of resistance for the sake of Jesus as par for the course. When you experience hostile people or hostile actions in this outward purpose, you are shooting par. It's to be expected. So what are we to do? Well, verse 14 gets now unpacked further, beginning in verse 17, where God says, verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. So here's how not to respond. Don't get even. Don't, don't retaliate. And if that seems entirely unrealistic, some kind of Disneyland, fantasy world life, realize the guy writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul, he had been both a persecutor and violently persecuted. I am reading devotionally, I've been reading through and praying through the book of 2 Corinthians. And I came this past week to chapter 11 where the Apostle Paul describes some of his experiences in this outward purpose. He mentions their imprisonments, plural, as in multiple imprisonments for Jesus. He mentions their countless beatings, as in, I've lost track of how many times I've been beaten for Jesus. He mentions their Five times I received 40 lashes, less one. So 40 was the limit in the Old Testament, so they'd give you 39. I, if my multiplication's correct, that's 195 lashes to that point. 195 times the leather split open his back. The scars he must have had. Uh, three times, rather, he says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once they tried to execute me via stoning. But this guy knew persecution. This guy was not living some Disneyland experience, yet he urges us, God urges us, repay no one in this outward purpose. Repay no one, evil for evil, but, but give thought to Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Think about, he says, think about what would be right to do in their eyes, the people who are opposing you. Think about what would seem good in your behavior, in their evaluation. Now, I think we might say at that point, Tab, Christians in our society are way too misunderstood to do that. I mean, we are trying to honor God and we're labeled intolerant. We're called hate mongers. You can't do this verse. It's outdated. But if you think you are misunderstood and misjudged, realize believers in this day, they were called atheists, cannibals, and charged with engaging in incest. 
atheists because they had done away with the Roman pantheon of gods, so no idols, no idolatry. They believe in no gods then. Cannibals because they would eat the flesh and blood of this guy named Jesus in the Lord's Supper. And engaging in incest because they had meals together they called love feasts. You talk about being misunderstood and slandered and persecuted. But in the face of all that, God still says, try to do what is right in their eyes. In other words, don't offend people unnecessarily. The gospel already does. And so he tells us instead in verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Peace is not always possible in our outward purpose. So he adds the qualifier, as far as it depends on you, as far as you can. He says, pursue peace with those who oppose you. So I think it's good to pause and just ask ourselves, would the unbelieving around me say that this describes me? Would the unbelieving around me say this about me? Would they say that I, I really seek to do what is honorable in their sight? I really try to do what's right, even in their eyes. That I seek peace with them as much as possible. That's the call upon us here, but let's be honest. It's not easy. It's hard to do, isn't it? It's been said, it's been said that we live in an age of rage. <laughs> an age of rage. A day one New York Times writer has coined the term that describes it. He coined the term outrage porn based on letters to the editor, comments to the New York Times. He describes what he calls our insatiable search for things to be offended by. He says we feed, we feed off of feeling right and feeling wronged. Isn't that so true? I'm outraged. It's an age of rage. I'm feeding, I'm feeding off of feeling right and feeling wronged. And so we need, don't we? We need, friends, an antidote for the age of rage in our own hearts, in my heart, in your heart. We need, we need some robust why for doing this. We need some reason why we can resist the temptation to get even, to retaliate when we're opposed. And we have one here. The justice of God and His coming wrath. Verse 19. Beloved, never, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. That's the theological why 
that helps you with the temptation to strike back. The coming judgment of God. That there will be justice sooner or later. That, that all sin will be punished in one form or another. Either in God the Son who hung on a cross 2,000 years ago or when He returns on the last day. So this is what helps us. Justice will be done. If you're facing injustice, here's what you need to know. Justice will be done sooner or later. And notice as well, it's worth, it's worth realizing what comes next in this book. The next chapter, Romans 13, describes the role of the state, the government, in upholding justice. So sometimes we do publicly challenge evil and get the authorities involved to do so. The legal system rightfully comes into play in many situations, but God's giving us a, a general principle for personal conduct. And He says, don't get even. Don't, don't retaliate. Don't lash back. Don't go on a, a personal vendetta. Instead, entrust that person's fate to God, knowing that He is just. And justice will be done one way or another, either in Christ or when He returns. Friends, that frees you to not get even. Here's a historical example. Miroslav Volv is a Christian theologian. He was born in Croatia, came of age in communist Yugoslavia. He witnessed, if you recall this, the, the ethnic, severe ethnic tensions between the Croats and the Serbs. After the fall of communism in 1991, those tensions escalated into a bloody war. And there were terrible ethnic cleansings that, that resulted, even against his own people. And so in the 90s, he wrote about his experience. He wrote about seeing the suffering. He wrote about seeing the injustices of ethnic cleansing being done to your own people. And here's what he said. Quote, the practice of nonviolence requires a belief in divine vengeance. You catch that? A practice of nonviolence, not striking back, not retaliating, that, re that requires you to believe something. He says divine vengeance, divine justice, that all sin will be dealt with in full, one way or another, either in a bloody figure on a cross or when He returns in splendor. So we need to believe this, to do this. But I want to add here, I want to add, I want to add a word to those perhaps who've experienced some form of abuse against you. God hates the evil that was done to you. If, you. if you have been sexually abused or physically abused in some way, God hates the evil that has been done to you, and we do as well. But I don't want you to misunderstand. 
Verse 9, we are told, abhor what is evil. So we abhor what was done to you. I don't want to minimize that for a moment, and neither should you. The pathway forward, the pathway forward is theological. It's believing in divine justice, divine vengeance, and hoping in Christ that way. That's what not to do. Don't get even. What are we to do then? Well, secondly, we do them good. Secondly, do them good. Don't, don't get even, but do that person some good. Look at verse 20. Verse 20 we read, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, Feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. By doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. So notice the shift. Now it's not merely don't get even. Now it's actively, actively respond by doing them some good. If he is hungry, give him food. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And realize that food and drink here are representative of doing them good of every kind. It's not enough to say, they don't look very hungry, I won't give them any food. No, it's do them good of any kind. Whatever needs you can meet, whatever ways you can serve them, God says, oh yes, please do it. Including praying for them. Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies. And pray, pray, pray for those who persecute you. Pray they would come to Christ and know His forgiveness. And as you do, verse 20 tells us, you heap, you heap burning coals on their head. And it's very interesting. There's, there's a lot of debate about what this actually may mean. Some say it means you're entrusting them to God's judgment, which might make sense. Others say it means you are trusting that your kindness bring some shame to their conscience, and it might mean that too. Regardless, verse 21 sums it up nicely. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That, that friends, is a very powerful, ver powerful verse for our outward purpose. That's a verse to take home with you today. That might be a verse to memorize today. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, if you retaliate to their evil done to you, then that evil has overcome you. You let their actions control you. Evil wins the day when you strike back, when you respond in kind. But, if you do good in response to their evil, then you have overcome their evil with good. I think perhaps the most powerful example of this in our country was the Dr. Martin Luther King. And the supreme example of this is certainly Jesus himself, who, who hung on a cross and prayed for his tormentors, Father, 
forgive them. They know not what they are doing. And then he died for his enemies, which includes us. Colossians 1. You who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Friends, that's us. That's where you were prior to coming to Christ. If you are a Christian, it's where you are right now. I'm sorry to say, if you've not yet come to Christ. Alienated from God, hostile in your mind against God, doing evil deeds against God, He has now reconciled you in His body of flesh by His death. That's the key. That's what enables us to do good to those who might resist us. It's realizing that when we were doing evil against God, God did the greatest good to us. It's seeing, it's believing, not just in divine vengeance, but divine mercy. It's believing that you're a recipient of divine mercy and grace, and then being able by God's power to express that mercy and show them good. So I want to ask, is there a situation for you right now like that? Is there someone hostile against you? Might be someone you've been thinking of while I've been making this point. Is there someone opposing you for the sake of Christ? And you find yourself thinking, Tab, I, I cannot do them good. That, that's, that's a line I can't cross. Now, there are many qualifiers I would want to make without knowing the details. For instance, it might be that some distance in that relationship and appropriate boundaries are very much necessary for your own protection. I just don't know the details, and the details matter. But I think God would want you to know this much. He can meet you and help you so that the mercy you have received becomes in some way the mercy that you show. Let me give you a few examples of that. Let me give you some examples. Let's take the issue of abortion. I read an article where the president of family, uh, Focus on the Family writes of making attempts over the years to engage in dialogue with abortion providers in his area. He recounts a time when he reached out to a lady who represented an abortion, a prominent abortion provider to meet together and talk in the offices of Focus on the Family. And the lady, to her credit, came in. She was clearly uncomfortable and she said, in fact, to this guy, are you going to put a voodoo hex on me? <laughs> he said, the guy laughed. He said, I laughed and chuckled and asked her what she knew of Christianity. She said, not much. He said, I began to share with her God's love, and then we had a cordial conversation about our differences. Now, this lady went home that very day and found a note from her husband saying he wanted a divorce. She went home that day saying, realizing her husband wants to divorce her. 
She was devastated, of course, didn't know where to turn, but because of the love and respect she'd experienced in those offices, she called up Focus on the Family for help. They put her in touch with one of the staff members, and this staff member took this lady under her wing, no agenda, no, no ulterior motives, just showed this lady the love of Christ, sought to mentor her and help her. And then this man writes, a few months later, I received a note from the woman. She wanted me to know that she was walking away from the abortion industry. She had many heartfelt words of appreciation for my colleague who'd been the hands and feet of Christ to her. She said, quote, I've never seen anyone love another human being the way this person has loved me. Don't be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. Or, or what about the issue of homosexuality? Biblical convictions in that regard are, are officially now hate speech. How should you respond? Rosaria Butterfield was once a bold advocate for the LGBTQ community and lived as part of it. She said in an interview, when I lived as a lesbian activist, I'd been in a lesbian relationship for some years, and I very much thought, this is who I am, this is how I want to live. When I started writing my post-tenure book, she was an English professor, when I started writing my post-tenure book, it was on the religious right and the people that supposedly hated people like me. And she wrote an editorial about that issue, these religious people who hate me. And she got contacted by a local pastor named Ken Smith, who invited her into the home of he and his wife. She said, what was striking was his home looked like my home. She says, among my circles in New York in the 90s during the AIDS crisis, someone's home was open every night of the week. We called ourselves family. I thought it was unique to the gay community, but it wasn't because Ken, Smith, Ken Smith's community was like this too. She, she said this, she came into, her, into their home and their hospitality became, quote, a living, breathing example of the theology they were teaching. And through their kindness, God began to draw her. She says, quote, For two years, I was loved and welcomed by a Christian community that I despised, mocked, and rejected. For two years. Did you hear that? Loved and welcomed by a Christian community that I despised, mocked, and rejected. Friends, may we do the same. And she, of course, came to Christ. Don't be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. Let me expand the application. What about when those around us experience some evil themselves? What, what should we do in those times? Can we do them good? I love the story Alan Cison shared with me about his co-worker, Cindy, who was pregnant. He says she was supposed to get married, but it turned out her, quote, fiancé was actually still married to 
and still with his supposed ex-wife. So Alan's co-worker was deceived by this man, found herself pregnant and alone. She had experienced some evil. And one might say, well, look, lady, you got yourself into that situation. It's your problem now. But Alan says, I tried to encourage her by being a friend. He said, I sought to just be an ear for her, listening to her, gave advice when that was helpful. He even, I believe, he reminded her every day to stay hydrated. He is such a sweet man. He said, every day I'll remind her to drink enough water. And Cindy's comment, this was striking to me, Cindy's comment was, the only two people in my life who check in on me are my mom and Alan Cison. That's a powerful display of Christ's love. Alan and Amy went to the baby shower to support and show love to Cindy. They visited the hospital recently when she had an emergency C-section. She's doing well, as is her baby. And Alan got a chance to share the gospel with her recently. Don't be overcome by evil. Friends, overcome evil with good. It's not easy, but it's possible. And it's glorifying to God. Because all of this, do you recall a few weeks back, all of this is flowing out of verse 1 of chapter 12, where we are told in verse 1, by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. That's why we don't get even, but do them good. Because of the mercies of God we've experienced, we respond, Lord, I'm a living sacrifice. Here I am, living a life of worship because of these great mercies. For I was evil, I hated you, I was opposed to you, and you showed mercy to me, and you did good to me in Jesus Christ. So, how can I show mercy to them? So let us close, friends, let us close, remembering, oh, and rejoicing in, right, such great mercy as we take the Lord's Supper together with the ushers. Please prepare to serve us and the music team. Please come. We praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for this great mercy, grace, and love. We thank you in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. We're going to close by singing a rich, rich hymn. You can pass your cups to the audience.